Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Jesus. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Because if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray that you give us expectant hearts. Lord, that you would give us hearts that are, um, are ready to hear what you have. Lord, I have some things prepared. God, but every time I've ever seen, heard anyone open the Bible, whether in a Bible study, around a dinner table, in a sermon, Lord, I have just, I've never seen your word return void on hearts that are ready to receive it. So open us up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Welcome to church. Welcome to the beginning of a new week of church. Uh, My name is Andrew, one of the leaders here at Sanctuary. Welcome to August 4th Sunday, traditionally the lowest attended Sunday gathering in all of church, but easily the greatest Sunday that we ever have. Why not, right? You're all just too hot. I need some feedback today for no other reason other than I think it helps you engage. I think it's good for all of us. It's sort of like taking notes So let's engage together as we go through the scriptures. Um, My wife uh, is an incredible woman. A lot of incredible qualities. (laughs) This is the preface that gets anybody into trouble ever. Um, But she and I have different philosophies, for the most part, about uh, where things should go. And it's not that she's like a messy person at all. You could probably make an argument, I'm just as, if not more messy in a lot of ways. But I like everything to have a place. Everything has like a place, like that goes there. And the more uh, children we've had, so we have three children now. Yep, that's right. I just started taking medication for that. Kidding, children are a blessing. Uh, (laughs) That's all someone heard and they're walking out the door. Um, We, uh, I've I've wanted uh, with every child, I've gotten more particular instead of less which is actually antithetical to my mental health. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, I, that ball goes there. That pretend telephone goes there. That kitchen set always needs to be put back in this way. The biggest thing, though, that's hard for me in terms of a place is, like, when the, when the night comes to the end, I want everything back in its place. So if it has to get taken out and moved around, like, it all belongs somewhere. So I am... Of all the things that, that um, create, a, a, a create strong fellowship between my wife and I is, is this fact that I don't leave things like half undone. Like, so if I start a project and I can't finish it, I'm definitely going to put it away somewhere. I'm definitely going to hide it somewhere. 
Corey is more of the mind of like, it's okay that it sits out there. This doesn't really bother me that much. It's not that big a deal. So she was building, um, she had bought, came home with a, a dresser, an extra, like a half dresser that we wanted to put in our room. We don't have a lot of storage in our place. And so she comes home with the dresser and I'm looking at that thing. And for the first week and a half, the boxes sat in the living room in the hallway. And I just thought, no, can we please put the boxes downstairs? And when you're ready to build it, we can bring it up. So already the boxes were difficult for me. And then I came home and it was the day that I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. And sure enough, I came home and the, the dresser was half built in the middle of our living room. It's going in our bedroom, but it's in the middle of the living room. She's like, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just wasn't, didn't have the chance to finish it. And it's hard to like be, like kind of get on her for it because she's like doing this incredible service to our family. She's like putting together a dresser, right? She likes to throw back the card like, well, if you wanted it done so fast, you should have done it. I'm like, I didn't even want it to dresser. Sorry, sorry, we're working this out in counseling. Um, so she, she builds this thing. So she, um, it's half done, there's no drawers, but it looks like the, the, the main skeleton is there. So when she's out for something or another and I go on these like cleaning sprees, my dad did the same thing. I just all of a sudden see a bit of a mess and I start to sprint around the house putting everything back together. In fact, when I was on paternity leave, anybody on paternity leave, like it just rocks your whole world because you're home and you're like, I'm not used to being home this much. And so I'm like, why can't stuff just get put away all the time? And I become like such a bear. And like two weeks in, I'm like, oh, the reason why is because I would be spending every single minute tidying up every little thing. So I see this dresser. I got all this like, all right, I'm going to go and do my like big cleanup thing. So I'm going around the house, picking up everything. And again, I don't need it to be like clean, like dusted. I just don't want clutter. I'd rather a stack of things in the corner. So I lift my, my, there's enough free mental space in like the big living room. The dresser's in the middle of the living room. I see it there. I know where she wants it. I think the scaffolding, like the skeleton is strong enough. I don't even think to check it. So I go over and I go to like, all right, I'm just going to pick it up. You know what? She's even going to thank me for moving it. I go to lift it up, pop, the whole top of the dresser comes ripping out. Like three other things hadn't been screwed in yet. I literally, I mean, it's like Ikea, so you know, super high quality. And so I like rip the whole top off. And I, my wife comes home and it's like, you, you just needed, you needed that to be back in place, didn't you? You had to do that, didn't you? And to which I responded as I was preparing the sermon, I didn't actually respond this way, but it's really nice as a husband when like one out of one billion times, God actually sides with you. And I would like to uh, humbly submit to you that God sides with me on, on this one. A place, but in fact, God, is, I'm, I'm joking. It was like, oh, oh, whipping out the Bible pastor to keep you, you know. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God has placed us. However you want to make sense of God in control and what God is doing, there is a sense that within the body of Christ, we have been placed. We have a spot. We have a locality. And as we're in a series on rest, and we've been talking Sabbath, and we've been talking silence, and we've been talking solitude, and how do we slow down, it dawned on me, this was not like a prepared talk originally in the series, was that so much of our rest, learning the art of rest, 
Learning about how we have the capacity to be able to slow down and to truly be still. Some of this has to do with acknowledging our limitations and owning our place. Anyone else feel that? Like just to me saying like, hey, you are where you are supposed to be. Hey, recognize that you have limitations. Now for some people, it just triggers like a fight like complex. Like there are no limits. I will break every ceiling. I will break through every chain, which is a great mentality to have, but, but I, I felt the need for a long time as followers of Jesus to push back a little bit to go, actually, no, actually, no, you can't. Actually, you come from the generation where everybody gets a trophy for everything and everything, everybody can do everything, and you know what? It's causing massive anxiety, and it's just objectively, statistically not true. We have a propensity now in our celebrity culture to compare ourselves to the point oh 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 one percent and that's how we gear what success is and whether we're making an impact and it's creating unrest. It's creating unrest. It's not helping us to slow down and to be still. God has placed us. Place in so many ways is about opportunity and it's about limits. So we can say we've been put in this place and have an opportunity to go forward. Well, that makes sense. We were people made in the image of God. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. As followers of Jesus, as Christians, we have an understanding of the world that we were made in the image of God. But in the same section, in the opening pages of the scripture, that are an origin story telling us about who we are and how we're wired. In the same place, we learn this. We learn that from dust we came and from dust we will return. Opportunity is as much about, or sorry, limits and, I'm sorry, place, place, Andrew. Place is as much about opportunity as it is about limits. We are not God. We are not omnipotent. We are not omnipresent. God has placed us which means there are opportunities and limits that are either given from God or that God is going to use. Let's talk about a couple limits, because that's a great way to start a week. One, your family of origin. How many people feel limited by their family of origin? Your family, your country, your birth culture, all gave you gifts and limits. Whether you had two parents, one parent, were adopted, they, we all enter adulthood with limits given to us by our family. Marital status, both marriage and singleness are limits given by God. If you have children, the number of children you have is a sort of limit. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room? Your intellectual capacity. None of us are brilliant in every sphere of influence, or most of us. All of us have uh, limitations on our ability to memorize and to remember some of us were given extraordinary intellect and still it has its ceiling. Some of us may feel resentful the fact that we don't, that we've struggled through every moment of schooling. We've struggled through every moment of comprehension. Our wealth, we have a limited amount of resources. Our resources are not ever expanding. Our raw material, God has given you a certain personality and a temperament, like something that makes you your unique self. Some of you are just so awkward, right? I always love doing this. Like, I think awkward people in a room. <laughs> just when people name it, like, I am awkward. 
if, if I were to align with social norms, which I don't, so I'm not awkward anymore. Everyone's unique, right? Some of us just are like, we know this about ourselves. If we're self-aware enough, yeah, I'm a little introverted. Yeah, I'm a little extra. Yeah, I'm a little like fill in the blocks. Like we all have our quirks, all the raw material that we're working with. This is like, there are gifts there and there are limits there. Your time is the big one. You only have so much time. I would love, as I was reminded, my wife and I, um, or our whole family, we got to get away for like a little two-day stint, like a little three-night, um, two-day, three-night, like a little over um, hangout down in Cape Cod for a couple of days. Someone was very generous and made this happen for us. And man, I just thought, what an amazing life. Like I, I, there's a little chapel down the way in this little village. And I'm like, I could just, I could just, just take care of some of the folks in this retirement community and take it easy, go slow, sailing, like live in Cape Cod for a season. And then it made me start thinking of Italy for some reason. I was like, oh, I just, I could be in Italy for a little while. I'm like, I don't have time. God's given me some things. God has placed me in the body of Christ. If I were to get up and move to Italy tomorrow, I would be directly disobeying the God of the universe and don't think I could expect the sort of blessing that I, I'm supposed to expect. God has placed me somewhere. In fact, if I can just go on this tangent for a second when it comes to that, I have seen so many people uproot their family just because of a job. When their kids are flourishing, school is going great, they're a part of a church community, that things are like taking off, their kids are spiritually fed, they have friendships that are on mission. But for us, for a $10,000 bump in their paycheck, they uproot their entire family and go to a new place. I'm telling you that $10,000 will not pay for like the, the, uh, the counseling bills you're gonna have to do to take care of your kids for uprooting them in the middle of whatever. This is not pointed to anybody in this room, by the way. I'm not, I don't preach like that. I say that because it's just so important for us to ask the question, am I where I'm supposed to be? And it's so interesting. I use that as like a, maybe a little bit of a, an edgy example because too many will uproot. That's just a normal cultural thing. If I can make a little more money, we're probably most likely going to move for that. And I'm just would humbly push back and say that it's completely antithetical to what it means to be a father. That's the normal cultural way. But your first move is to get on your knees and to pray and to fast and say, God, is this what we're supposed to do? Because it doesn't seem like that. Can we say that? Can we, can we acknowledge that? I want to tell a story, but I, I'm going to resist. The short version of it is just a buddy of mine who said, no, I'm going to turn down a $40,000 bump in my salary and climbing the corporate ladder because what was thriving for my family spiritually and missionally and what God was doing in my heart meant that I needed to stay here. And the blessing that came, I know this doesn't always happen, and you know me, I'm not some health and wealth preacher, but good Lord, he ended up with a massive shift in jobs that happened locally and is now making way more than he, he was before. And I believe part of that in, that in this situation because he was faithful. But I digress. This passage, though, reminds us, this reminds us that, of a couple things. If we were to go on reading here in 1 Corinthians 12, not only has God placed everybody in a particular way within the body of Christ, but he begins to talk about the different gifts. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable and parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together 
giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. See, for many of us, we're in a place that we don't want to be, or we're in a place where we're trying to get to another place. Within the body of Christ and within even our life circumstances, there are restrictions and there are these limitations and our constant bumping against them instead of going, what sort of honor would become of me? What sort of blessing might come upon me if I were to own my place? What might God do in the quiet places? This passage is saying the unseen parts are important. The things that don't feel seen by everybody else. I mean, right, if it's not on an Instagram story, did it happen? If it's not on an Instagram story, did it happen? Like, we live in a culture where we're constantly acting like celebrities. I do the same thing. I love to share. Hopefully, it's out of a more of a healthy place. I'm like, I love letting my friends know. Like, here's what's going on, and how cute is this, and it's sharing my joy. But if I don't stop and fast for long periods of time, I don't know if you're like me, you end up getting sucked into this. And we try to make even the most, um, the most simple things, we try to push into some sort of celebrity status and place instead of acknowledging the quiet place that they're in and allowing God to do something with it. We forget to embrace the place we're in because we're so obsessed so often with others. And if people can't see it, then it must not be important. If people can't see it, it must not be important. If I can't broadcast it, if I can't share it, then it must not be important. But we know that people come and go and God is interested in our faithfulness, in the place that he has put us. God is interested in our integrity in the unseen places. Nothing reveals someone's character more than anonymity. Nothing. I'm convinced of it. Make somebody anonymous to give no credit for what they're doing. You'll watch their character come. I've mentioned this like, I feel like probably once a year I share this. But the, developing the spiritual practice of secrecy has been one of the most powerful tools that I, when I've been able to teach other young church planters this gift, which is like you find a bunch of things that you do in private, ways that you love people, serve the kingdom, care for the poor, engage the hurting, even if it's just like, just some regular simple discipline as you walk to work, something that you do that never shows up in a sermon that nobody knows about. Nobody. These secret acts that help shape who we are and who we're becoming. Because so often the things that are unseen to people are the most important things to God. Nothing reveals your motives more than invisibility. To embrace the place that God's put you in, to actually do this, to realize that those small, simple acts throughout the day, those small, simple acts in anonymity that you're giving, your piano playing, your greeting at the door, your changing of diapers, your like simple tasks of like when you had a chance to like lack integrity and cut corners at work, you didn't. These small moments, these, these seemingly small and unseen prayers, my gosh, these are the things that shape us, help us fall into alignment because it's not just us against the world. We are a part of a body and we need you to be you. We need you to be where you're at. We need some rock star parents. 
We need some rock star stay-at-home kid parents. We need some rock star students. We need people, when I say rock star, who are just faithful in the thing God's called them to and are flourishing so they can help all the other people who are in that spot continue to flourish and grow in love and are aligned properly in the kingdom of God. We so often, you can clap for that, that's not me. We chase position. We so often find ourselves chasing position and we end up sacrificing our destiny on the altar of a brand new position. So many Christians leave blessing and the place God has set for them. So much of life is just showing up like with all of yourself in the place that God has put you. We know that a Christian calling to be a follower of Jesus and a part of a church is bigger than your vocation. We find our place in the house of God. And so when we actually see ourselves as part of this thing that God is doing in the world, I found this so moving and helpful over the years. Every act of kindness and joy and forgiveness and blessing and love and prayer are actually, they go on in God's good world. And Peter says they speed the coming of the kingdom. They participate in the life uh, of the kingdom. I, I, I love... I don't want to be simplistic with this, and I don't want to trivialize the brokenness of what just happened, obviously, in, in, um, in Dayton and uh, in El Paso. But there's a discussion that we have over here about gun control, and there's all sorts of discussions about education and about our political context and what's happening around the world. And I just go like, do we know the folks that are prone to, right? We know a lot more about the killer in El Paso. He was at least virtue signaling a white supremacist. He was like the Ku Klux Klan. He was dialed into all of this, um, this really destructive culture that has sort of had a resurgence as of late. Like, who are the people in his neighborhood? Was there, was there an, an, a neighbor who, who knew the way of Jesus, who knew that, that family? Like, was there, was there a faithful community around them? What sort of loneliness and hurt and pain and ostracization did that person experience? Like, who, I often ask the question, like, who buried something? Who, who buried a gift? Who buried um, or tried to avoid the place that they were at? I don't know, I don't know the backstory. But I think about these kinds of things, and I feel like I could go down a whole, like, we could, we could um, hypothesize all sorts of different instances of, of across the world of how it's those simple acts. It was that one teacher. It was that one mentor. It was that one loved one. It was that one brother. It was that one sister who was faithful in their place and faithful in their place. And I think so often the church is so anemic and the church is so um, powerless because people haven't owned where they are and are leaning into their station. And I think people think, well, when I finally arrive at the place that I'm going to be, when I'm finally going to have money or finally going to have influence or finally going to be able to do X, Y, or Z, somehow my character will just snap to attention. But your character is always formed in the unseen place. I say all of this because it trickles down to your rest. The people who are some of the greatest advocates for against injustice, the people who are some of the greatest, um, like, people of passion in our world who have joined God truly and putting the world back together are some of the people with the greatest rest, the greatest laughter, the greatest inner joy, 
because they have been formed in the secret place and they have been formed in the quiet place. Will you turn with me to 1 Kings 19? This is the story of Elisha and Elijah, those unfamiliar with the scriptures. This, this, this right here will like, I, I, I'm convinced will change everything for you. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. So this is the Lord speaking to Elijah who's looking out at the world like so many prophets and going, there is so much carnage and so much wreckage and so much brokenness in the world. And he's like, no one's following me. No one's being faithful. No one's doing the right thing. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And then anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from able to succeed you as a prophet. So go find your successor. Go back through the desert the way that you came to a particular place and find him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. He was plowing his 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So just stop right there. He goes back through the desert. So this is one of the great prophets of God who's about to find his replacement who, who ends up succeeding him as one of the greatest prophets of all. He's got to go find him. And so he goes to a particular place. He's out in the desert. And not only is he plowing with oxen, but it says that um, he is driving the 12th pair. So he's in the back of the workforce. He's all the way in the back. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Preachers love to stop right there. And he gave him his blessing. And then that's a a Jewish way of just saying this was then the moment where all of a sudden this new person stepped in and began to walk faithfully as one of the major prophets of Israel. And then it says, Elijah went up through his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He was in the back. He was in the parking lot. He was home. He was changing diapers. He was in the cubicle. He was repeating that grade. He was in that class. He stays in his place. He stays in his place there in the desert. And he is faithful. He is in the back of the back. He is with the oxen. Imagine if all he saw in that season of life was oxen. Imagine if all you saw were your limitations and not what God wanted to do through you and in you in that season and in that place. And it's because he was in that place that God found him and God moved him. God moves him to a new station. So much about life is just staying in your station. How many marriages would be saved if we just stayed with it? That's the trick. You want to know the initial trick? The the, the very difficult but very simple advice for every marriage? Stay in it. As best as you are able, stay in it. Stay with it. I'm going to keep discipling those kids. I'm going to keep working at this particular, at this hard place. I'm going to reframe the way I'm seeing coming home to like, I keep going back to kids. Clearly this is where I'm at in life right now. 
As soon as I bump up against these limitations and this hardship, I'm going to keep showing up. This is where I find myself. It doesn't mean when you find yourself in places of being oppressed or in places of hardship that you don't try to change your station. Please don't get it twisted. But this is absolutely a recognition that God will open the doors. And I've never been able to preach a message like that until recently when I have seen it time and again. If you want to find your place and if you want to push yourself into that location, please know that you're kind of on your own. You will burn out and you will not master the art of rest in that place because God didn't put you there. You put you there. It's your, it's like on you to do the extra hard work. We make it more difficult for ourselves when we don't own. Look, this is where I'm at and these are the limitations that I have. What does it mean to thrive? Lord, into that place. I got so excited the mic turned off. Too many abdicate their place and then God turns up and they're not there. Imagine if Elijah had traced the tract across the desert and showed up and Elisha was like, I'm too good for this oxen. I'm out of here. I just wonder. I just wonder. Because this is the story of scripture. David on the hill. Moses being pulled out of obscurity. Abram being pulled out of obscurity. God goes, are you being faithful in your place? I can use you because I sense something there. And God will be faithful. So what happens when you think nothing is happening? There's always more going on below the surface. There's always something that God wants to do when we get planted in the larger mission. What God wants to do in you Like we have to pay attention to this so that God can do through you what he is supposed to do, what he wants to do. And so embracing limits is about embracing blessing. Embracing limits is about embracing rest. Embracing limits is what we see John do. John the Baptist models this so wonderfully for us. There are these crowds that are forming, following John the Baptist they're, they're switching their allegiances from John to Jesus. John knew this. This is what he was given. He was supposed to set things up for Jesus as he began his ministry. And so they began leaving John to follow Jesus. And some of John's followers were upset about this traumatic turn of events. And they complained to him. It says in John three twenty six, everyone's going to him. John's closest disciples are like, what's going on, John? We thought you were the man. Now everyone's going to Jesus. And John understood limits, and he understood his place, and he understood his calling, and he understood his identity. And he says, look, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He was able to say, I accept my limits. I accept my humanity. I accept my declining popularity. We must increase. He must decrease. Be faithful. It's all about Jesus. If you're here and you're a father of Jesus, our first and primary call is to seek first the kingdom. And so when we're seeking first the kingdom and even the smallest and seemingly most insignificant places, we are part of the greatest thing that exists in the world. We are a part of like the magic of what God is doing and bringing heaven to earth and renewing and restoring all things. We get to join God in this. You only got about 80 good years. Give yourself fully to where you're planted and watch stuff open up. I'll never believe this more now. Never. 
And I look back, I'm, I'm the kind of personality that always just sees the good. I always like, I'm just ready to move on to the next thing. Where's the next wonder? Where's the next joy? Where's the next pleasure? Where's the next good thing? I don't do a good job like slowing down and reflecting. I've had to build this rhythm into my life. I will tell you that looking back then on when um, I'm, I'm at uh, this, this church down in East Greenwich, 25 minutes south of here, not wanting anything to do with vocational ministry, but being called to start a worship service, because that's a thing. Me and a bunch of buddies playing like songs all night, reading Flannery O'Connor and a couple Psalms, then going out for a beer after. This faithfulness turned into, Andrew, you're supposed to keep doing this. And multiple friends telling me, dude, you're crazy. You're like taking up so much time doing this like sanctuary thing, this worship service. Why are you doing this? I'm learning how to teach. I'm thinking about going back to seminary. All this time going, I'm definitely not going to start a church. And it wasn't as like in vogue a thing at the time anyway. I had no vision of what that could be. I just knew I was supposed to do this. And I look back and I go, for all the stories I could tell you of my unfaithfulness, never in a million years that I think there would be three neighborhood congregations and a church movement happening in the city. Never did I think about I would have some sort of influence to share in one of the most, arguably the most post-Christian city in all of America, we are seeing people come to Christ. Never did I think I could be a part of something like that when I had no seminary degree, no aspirations for vocational ministry. No, one of the very few faithful things I ever did in my life was to stay planted and go, God, you called me to this, definitely not moving. Sorry I'm yelling so much today. I'm so passionate about that one verse, because it's everything. Seek first the kingdom, God will build a church. Seek first the kingdom, God will build your career. Seek first the kingdom, God will create an unbelievably flourishing family. It, this isn't about removing hardship or things won't be difficult or you're not allowed to mourn or just look at the bright side. Like it's none of that. Hopefully most of you know me well enough to know it's none of that. But it is, it is so much about embracing where we are, embracing the place that God has put us right now. We can keep an eye on the next thing, but if you can't be faithful with what God gave you, and if you can't be faithful in the private places, like young, like 20 somethings in the room, if you can't be faithful in anonymity, if you can't be faithful when there's no light on you, it will be a wreck when the light comes on you. If the light on you, the spotlight on you is bigger and brighter than the light of God in you, it will be disastrous. Just look at basically every celebrity story ever. And now roll that back to that next step in your career. Roll that back to the next step in the things you've wanted to give yourself to. And go, okay, God, this is my station. I got three little girls at home. Am I bringing the same creativity and love and joy and discipleship home to them? This is my place. There are limitations on what I can do. I cannot go and hang like I used to be able to hang. I can't take as many meetings as I used to be able to take. I lead relationally. I can't lead that way anymore. There are limits and I mourn them and it's hard, but this is my station. And I believe that if I'm faithful with what I've been given now and this current season, there will be other seasons to come. Whew. Okay, I'm going way too long. One last thing, just practically, how do we get there? How do we get there? You heard me say this in the beginning, I preached this a couple years ago. The, the temptation in the garden is that you will be like God. 
You'll be omnipresent. You'll be everywhere. You'll be a, (laughs) the line that a mentor said to me is, Andrew, you are a quivering pile of availability. Stop being available to everybody. You are a wreck because you are available to everyone. You can't be omnipresent. You can't be omnipotent. You can't be all powerful. I can fix you. I can fix me. I got that. Like, no, I can't be omniscient. I can't know it all. These are the things that God is like. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. You're not those things. The root, this is a root temptation. We try to be God and we end up killing ourselves. We can't do it. We need to know our identity and our calling and our limitations. We need to know who we are and why we're here and what we're up to. And so rest, rest for me for the first time in a ministry setting, like big capital R rest came when I reminded myself of the words of John the Baptist when he just says, as people come to him going, are you the one that is to come? Are you the one that we're all rallying around? And John the Baptist goes, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. Anyone else have a slight Messiah complex and need that this morning? (laughs) No, you're all good. Humble as pie. I am not, like I needed to hear it. I have limits. I've got gifts made in the image of God. I got all sorts of gifts. I'm not, I can't be everything to everyone all the time. This is my station. God, what do you want for me to do here? It starts with asking. It starts with embracing and asking the Lord. You are not building your career. You are not building some up into the right plan. We are here. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's gonna sound insane. But we are here to serve the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Can I get amen for that? We're here, if you're a Christian, you are here for one reason only. That's it. Not to build your brand, not to build your whatever but to serve the resurrected Jesus. And guess what? He's got some opinions on what you're to do and he puts you in a place. And we need you for this church and for the church at large to not be an anemic, unempowered mess, but to be a vibrant, like powerful (laughs) movement in the world for everyone to be where they are and in their station and allow God to open doors and God to move people and the rest that it will produce, I guarantee, I want to guarantee you like a car salesman, like it will produce such rest in your heart and in your soul. It's about Jesus. He's the head of the body, the church, it says. We're the body, he's the head. Our job is to lift up the He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection to the head from whom the body, the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. We're here to serve the church in our place. 
And so this just speaks to it. Anyone who's just trying to jockey for their position or be clever or move beyond that, they're not connected into the body. We need moms and we need husbands and we need students and we need janitors and plumbers and we need people with speaking gifts and musicians and we need everybody in their place to exalt the head that is Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, our King. Our King. The King of all kings. The one who has placed us where we are. The one who brings empowerment and true blessing. The one who shows us shows us what it is to be fully alive. Lord Jesus, our King, we serve you. And Lord, we seek to know your saving grace as we come to the communion table today. As we come to the bread and the cup, Lord, we seek to find rest in this meal, a renewing strength in this meal. Would we experience, Lord, your humility of laying down your life for us? Will we experience your power and strength and kingship, Lord, as we take the bread and dip it in the cup and are reminded of your body broken and your blood poured out for us, Lord? And may that move us, Lord, to being able to see more clearly who we are and what we are being invited into. Lord, would you reveal right now in my sisters and brothers, as you would reveal, Lord, please, in me, the cracks in our character. Would you reveal unholy drive, unsanctified drivenness? We wanna be driven and passionate in all the right sorts of ways. So we come forward ready to receive, Lord, your grace and your love and crown you again over our weakest King. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.